Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Jeremy. We're here today to discuss X-Men number 28, the January 1967 issue. Um, and this issue features the Whale of the Banshee. Yep. Or at least that's what it's called. Just wait till you meet the ogre. I'm curious about this Banshee fellow. Yeah, he... He, he seems like he might be somewhat sort of important. Eh, maybe not. So on the cover, there's this green ghosty looking guy who one can only assume is named the Banshee because his name is spread in between his hands, is bowling his way through the X-Men and uh, the Mimic. Yeah, and moving on to the uh, the first page, it looks very similar to that cover treatment. Um, it's actually a first page splash page that actually has to do with the issue. Oh my it's gosh. It's not actually like a pinup that gives us some information about what actually might happen in the middle of the story. It's actually the beginning of a story. Yeah. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and this issue, as you mentioned, is called The Whale of the Banshee. It's a very spooky font. It's like Scooby-Doo font. And it's got those little wavy lines around it, mm -hmm. making it sound like The Whale Exactly. It's a Scooby-Doo thing. Like, you know, in the Scooby-Doo episodes, they'd have that, like, waving uh, cloud behind the title or something. That's yeah. What, that's what this is. green, too. The little background is green. And uh, it's edited by Stan Lee, written by T uh, Roy Thomas, uh, arted by Werner Roth, inked by Dick Ayers, lettered by Artie Simic, and apparently Irving Forbush <laughs> provided the noisemaking. Yeah. I'm already tired of rearing Forbush. <laughs> exactly. Same here. So we see uh, a, the same ghostly figure from the cover uh, zooming through the streets of Manhattan with uh, an E sound. He's already wailing, as promised by the cover and the title. Yeah, not one of those is lying. He's talking about how his unearthly speed cannot be seen and only heard, so we're to... Uh, intimate from that that he is invisible for all intensive purposes. And there are people underneath him who are holding their hands to their ears in pain. That makes sense. It's, there's a noise. They don't know where it is. Their heads feel like they're going to burst. So then uh, we go to the next page, and apparently uh, the Banshee was looking for a gallery. And uh, he, he... I actually haven't mentioned his name as the Banshee yet. Well, the title does. It says the Whale of the Banshee. We can only... Okay. This guy who's wailing, much like a Banshee, who may not be <laughs> named the Banshee, <laughs> uh, he's, he's in search of this gallery, and he blasts through the window with his sonic vibrations. He alters them slightly in order mm -hmm. to break the glass. So this is this is not a sonic scream. Although it looks or like a it's sonic being... screwdriver. <laughs> oh, well. Uh it does look like it's being projected from his mouth though. Yes, it definitely is being projected from his mouth. He lands and and again he he still talks about how he needs to uh regain his normal state because apparently and I think this might be a change from later on in Marvel lore, but his entire body is vibrating, which is causing his invisibility and his flight. And his E noise. Yeah. So Which right. must be channeling out of his mouth or something. That's what it looks like. So he regains visibility, and uh, we also notice that the people that he was screaming above as he was flying into the gallery, they are now passed out. So apparently his vibrations uh, also cause people to faint when he flies around them. It's a lot of powers. Yeah, he's 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 the new Magneto, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. He'll be here for decades. He's going to start his own little brotherhood of evil mutants. <laughs> if you'll remember, um, last issue there was a mutant menace that the professor was worried about. Oh, I wonder if this is that, that, that mutant menace. Hmm. Could be. Well, only time will tell. So he enters the art gallery uh, that he smashed the glass of, and he discovers, well, he, he's been looking for this painting. He came specifically to find this painting and steal it. It, uh, let's see, just as today's tabloid described it, a landscape of indescribable tranquility of the utmost serenity. Hmm. And um, the Banshee here, he just seems like he's kind of an art snob. Uh, he's, he's fairly eloquent of a beast level. I imagine his voice is something like, ah, 
It is just as today's tabloid described it. A landscape of indescribable tranquility. No. Of the utmost serenity. He's got... He's got orange hair in a green costume. I think it's more like, Hi, tai tai Ah! <laughs> tranquility of the utmost serenity! Me pot of gold! Now, he is Irish, is he not? Irish or Scottish, one of the two. But he, they don't have any of those affectations that they would uh, normally associate with... Those foreigners? Foreign characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They usually give them thick accents. You're right. He is speaking very eloquently, and, and you're right. If... Uh, if if we didn't know more about the X-Men, one could assume that he's uh, some mutant British guy who's like, oh, this painting is quite serene. Right. How could these puny humans who dwell among the smoke and noise they call civilization hope to appreciate such matchless beauty? Sure, that's... That's that, what I think he sounds like. That's, yeah, except he's Irish, so he doesn't sound like that at all. But but if you read it from the, the page and the way he's acting, uh, I, I would agree with that, uh, with that uh, impression. And I'm going to hear Banshee like that for the rest of my <laughs> life. Uh, but, but so he's still, I don't know, these puny humans. I mean, where does this guy live, for God's sakes? He live in the clouds or something? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't notice that. I'm so above the noise of civilization in my cloud with my painting. Well, he's a mutant, so I guess he's got a little bit of the Magneto complex there. Mm. He should be saying those homo sapiens. Well, a couple of panels previous, when he lands in front of the gallery and blows away the window, he says, These mortal fools, to place such a precious object behind such a flimsy substance. Mortal? Yeah, it's almost like he's a god. <laughs> is this Thor? Is this Loki? <laughs> or Thor and Loki's third brother, the one that we never really heard about so much? The Banshee? It does say his, uh, his name right here. It says, uh, only steel could have stopped the whale of the Banshee or some such nonsense. So it is established. His name is the Banshee, and he's no mortal or human. That's just odd. So he disappears with the painting, and the patrons of the... Uh, art gallery wake up after he's long gone and call the police and report that although there is thousands of dollars of art in this gallery the the culprit only took one gaelic landscape and we are given a definition as to what gaelic is which we all know it's scottish stuff so i think we can now assume based on the orange hair the green costume and his uh, proclivity towards scottish artwork that he must be irish or scottish rather <laughs> Wait, he must be Irish? <laughs> Clearly, he is Spanish. <laughs> he's a Scottish, so he's a Highlander, so there can be only one, and that's why he's talking about mortals. Off with his head! <laughs> uh, anyways, the cop wonders why everybody was passed out, and the guy doesn't know why. He actually looks like a butler there with his little pinstripe yeah. pants and his uh, tuxedo jacket. But Well, this is the outfit of the uh, art gallery caretakers of the day. So we move next to the X-Men, who are studying the studying some the m indicator i guess is what it is uh and i didn't actually notice this upon first reading but the angel's arm is still bandaged up from a couple of issues ago issues ago when cyclops yeah. shot yeah, him I didn't notice that either. they're running a test to mm -hmm. see the i guess the professor has enhanced the mimics uh mimic ability and they're running a test of his flight within the range um, to see if his range is, in fact, extended. He can go farther away from the X-Men now and keep their powers. Uh, there's a lot of interesting mental uses of the professor's powers in this issue, and this is just one of them. Using his mental powers to increase the duration of Mimic's abilities, that, to me, doesn't really seem to make any sense. And there are also a few that have been used before that are not used in this issue. <laughs> so... Uh, one of these days, if we were really keeping track, we should have kept a scorecard as towards how many different powers uh, uh, the professor um, uh, shows in these early issues and see how it stacks up to later issues. Yeah, we could do that for Magneto and it would be completely different. <laughs> so, Cal Rankin, the mimic, uh, is at the very edge of the range of his powers and he decides to go past it because he's a cocky kind of guy he's a hmm. he's a cocky cockamaniac cockamaniac yeah i just coined that Ooh, cockamaniac <laughs> well and, yeah, yeah i believe there was a movie called that cockamaniac 
he goes past the range and his wings begin to shrink and he, he starts to panic. The professor tells him, quick, come back in the range. A duh. So he like turns around and, and makes it barely within spare, within inches to spare. And his wings manage to grow back. And, uh, he's rather pleased with himself. Yeah, he he uh, was choosing to ignore the professor's commands because he uh, knew he he thought that he had now the ability to absorb powers permanently, but he was wrong. He was hoping that they would be permanent. Yep, and uh, so he apparently uh, is still the head of the X Men, the deputy leader. Um, I don't really remember at the end of the last issue, but I guess they never did take that deputy leadership away. But I kind of thought that was all part of the ploy or whatever that they did last issue in terms of, you know, can you beat the X-Men type thing? But I gathered the whole idea of him becoming the deputy leader was also because Scott was leaving the team. Yeah. And he's so far, he has not left the team and yet Mimic Apparently still remains the deputy down. leader. I guess you can do that. Sure. It's too much pressure, Professor. I might shoot somebody. Again. <laughs> so Mimic heads back. The X-Men are all waiting for him. They're all kind of giving him, giving him a little crap. Yeah, they Profe- don't like him. Yeah, not really. The Professor says, ah, don't underestimate. He's a, he's a good dude. He just has a little bit of a cockamaniac attitude. <laughs> <laughs> he's a maniac for Oh, wait. Okay, so the Professor says, or he says, how did I do, Professor? I bet I was marvelous. And the Professor's like, ah, oh, you need to do a little bit better job of listening, son. <laughs> In so many words. It's at this point that Cyclops pulls him aside and says, look, you might be deputy leader, but listen, I've had this job before, and you need to be able to receive orders as well as give orders. To which the mimic responds, flake off, bright eyes. Yeah, you're just miffed at me because I'm the one calling the shots at for your kooky crew. <laughs> kooky. Okay, mimic, score one for you. Oh, actually, he brings up, you shot Angel, just remember that. Yeah, and then Cyclops gets all wimpy. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, no. Cyclops isn't wimpy in this panel. This is this is a Cyclops that I can actually respect. He's like standing up to mimic and saying, "Hey, hey, back off a little. You know, you want to fit into the team. You got to do this, this, and this." And he's right. not really backing down. He's and he's he much does, stronger than usual. He takes ownership of his mistake, but then also backs it up with, "But check it out. You know, if you if you keep this up, you're going to fall, and it's going to be hard." So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty respectable. Go Cyclops. I like this new Cyclops. He should be the leader of the team. Yeah, I would <laughs> I would approve of that. So then we move to a con- random control center because Lord knows there's millions of warehouses in New York City filled with random control centers, uh, or at least so if you pay attention to the Avengers, Fantastic Four, and the X-Men. so i don't know where these people get their money from or where they rent their space from but here they are wait jeremy you don't have a secret panel of computer uh equipment like this in your office i do but i don't have a costume to wear and i'm not plotting to take over the world okay okay (laughs) i guess that'd be pretty sweet to use my basement here with all the computers is like all right fellas this is what we're going to do. We're going to capture the professor and we're going to take over the world. What professor? Uh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking to? Uh, nobody. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. There's nobody here. All right. So anyways, this purple guy who's, I guess, a Magneto-like because he's got a purple suit and a pink belt. <laughs> yeah. He's, his name is the Ogre. Ah, he's the Ogre. Just wait till you meet him. Yeah. You know, this, this is it. We're meeting his. This is the back of the ogre, and then we get the next panel, the front of the ogre. <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing is, like one one movie making one hundred one thing is like if you're gonna have like a, a a like a featuring the awesome ogre as like your tagline on the poster, the very first scene of your awesome ogre had better be pretty awesome, don't you think? Like <laughs> the reveal, like oh my god, there he is. Uh, well, but this is nowhere in this do they say that he's awesome. All right, but they say just wait till you meet the ogre. And, yeah, but that could mean anything. I mean, that could mean just wait till you meet the ogre. He is horrible. <laughs> or it could uh, mean just wait till you meet the ogre. You know, it's, right. it's all the way you read it. Well, he's literally 
talking to himself and reading a map. I mean, that's our introduction from like a, a wide shot too. So you're really far away from him. All you can see is his back. And then the cutaway to his face is just like, dopey dope. <laughs> he just, <laughs> he's just got this dumb little expression on his face. He's a heavy set gentleman, which is clearly why he's called the ogre. Yeah. So he's talking about some guys named Factor 3 will be pleased because finally they've located the X-Men secret headquarters. Um, what? I must inform the Banshee without delay. So is that how he talks? See, I he sure. talks like this. I must inform <laughs> the Banshee without delay. Banshee. <laughs> so you returned. And for a dumb guy, because uh, the Banshee does kind of uh, indicate that he's not a very bright guy, he's, he's actually pretty eloquently spoken as well. Not as eloquent as the Banshee, but... But anyways, a couple of questions spring to my head. Like, A, who is Factor 3? And that can be a mystery. I understand that. But why are they finding, why are they, what, what beef do they have against the X-Men? And how did they locate the X-Men's headquarters? Some of these questions will be answered. Some of them will not. Uh, okay, it's just, you know, a little bit of backstory. Like, maybe even an issue or so ago, you could have had a dude in Shadows being like, Soon Factor 3 will rise. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Anything just to kind of give us a little heads up. But here we are with the fat guy reading a map. And we're like, oh, all right. Sweet. This is our bad guy. Hey, we jump right into it, man. Purple man is, the, or no, I guess, <laughs> I guess there is a purple man. So I can't call him that. Uh, purple costumed fat guy. Purple costume it's, pink belt. <laughs> purple costume pink belt. Uh Purple costume pink belt walks down. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Ogre. That's, All right, that's too much trouble. Fair enough. So the Ogre goes down to talk to Banshee, who's smoking his pipe. See, and if he was dumb, he wouldn't say something. And and must you insist on smoking that infernal pipe? So apparently the uh, uh, the Banshee is a, is a is snob for tobacco as well. He likes a fine painting, and he also likes a fine cigar, and... I would I would think that he must have just had a little glass of port, and uh, <laughs> he goes all out when he when he does it up. Yeah, he seems to be just kind of staring at that painting. The ogre's a little bit befuddled. He said, "That painting? That's what? Uh, what? That's why you went you went to an art gallery? I don't get it." <laughs> and I don't really get it either. I mean, is this part of the master plan, or is 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 the banshee just a petty thief? The banshee was not supposed to go into town and steal artwork. Okay, so he That's did. That's what I gather. The okay. ogre is mad at him for almost, like, if 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 Banshee gets caught, he'll ruin the plan. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, Whatever sure. Whatever the plan is. So to do with the X-Men's secret headquarters. <laughs> exactly. So they're continuing to make some plans, but the Banshee's more concerned with refilling his pipe tobacco because he's smoked it all, apparently. The ogre goes to finish his preparations. Because they're going to be ready to strike within one hour. One hour gives the Banshee plenty of time to scream his way into town and get some tobacco, I guess. Yeah, he figures he can, you know, he's got enough time to go into town. He goes into a tobacco, uh, what do they call that, the tobacconist? <laughs> I, don't, I think they call them tobacco outlets these days, but... Tobacco shop, shoppy. Sh- sh- well, yeah, it's, it's got an E at the end, it's S-H-O-P-P-E. <laughs> shop. I don't know. He goes to a tobacco shop. Oh, yeah. It even says the O'Neill Tobacco Shop. Yeah, sure. Uh, and he walk. He strides in uh, after screaming and everybody's passed out. And so he decides that he'll just have to help himself. And he's befuddled by how many kinds there are in America here. We got imports from all over the world. He's actually looking in the Turkish section. He is. That's right. And then an old guy who really reminds me of old Stan Lee. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> he looks like a character of old Stan Lee. Yeah. Pe- peeks his head around the corner and says, well, I forgot to wear my hearing aid this morning. And uh, well, there's a guy right there in a funny costume. You know what? I think I'm going to lock him into the tobacco shop. And run in and get the police. Yeah, he sees everybody's knocked out. So he does his duty and... Mm-hmm. Somehow noiselessly locks all the doors and eh, the the uh, the banshee comes out and he says, "What is this? Oh, I did. I thought I heard a clank out here." Yeah, I've I've heard those gates close. They sound like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he clank. he was very preoccupied with his tobacco. Yeah, he got enough of it. Jeez, he's got like <laughs> a big box of it. 
He's got like a gallon in one hand and a big box in the other hand. Yeah. And he he's he's not going to be held by some pathetic little shop gates. He's the banshee. So he screams and out he goes. Now, what did it say that he couldn't? He couldn't get through steel? He couldn't get through. Uh, well, it, it said, uh, this glass won't stop me. Why, even a thick sheet of steel couldn't stop me or something oh, okay. of that nature. So he hasn't really indicated any sort of weakness, but uh, uh, this gate certainly wouldn't would not hold him. Uh, so yeah, then we go through the gate with his with one of his maxi screams. Apparently in the shattering screech. Apparently in the Cerebro room, uh, there's a film projector, which Scott likes to run home movies on. <laughs> so he's showing, this is me and Gene. Look at us. We're so happy. Oh, and there comes Angel. He's such a sourpuss. He's really mad at me for shooting in the wing. <laughs> oh, wait. No, that's not. It's not a film projector. It's a computer reel-to-reel tape that he's got connected to Cerebro. He says what it shows is fantastic and then goes on to say that it shows evidence of a brief mutant activity in Manhattan. That doesn't sound that fantastic to me, but I'm being nitpicky. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, okay. So it is actually a recorder. So somehow it was recording. I don't know what it was recording, but it recorded mutant activity. I don't know if that means like digitally, like a computer program, or if it means audibly, like a tape, but whatever. Okay. The first panel... The professor says, wait, that flashing light. Scott, turn up the sound on Cerebro. And then it goes, Ree! and then immediately the professor says, turn it down, Cyclops. <laughs> well, I guess you're right. He probably should have said, turn it on. I can't hear it. Turn it up. And not turn it up and then turn it on. Yeah, the professor's a little senile. He doesn't know what's going on. Turn it up. Turn it down. Wait, turn it up again. No, no, turn it down. It's too cold in here. Get me my blanket. Is there a draft in this Cerebro room? I'm old. And he says, let's look at it on the Vizzy screen. Mm-hmm. Couldn't they have just called it the screen? I don't know. There's like Rapello rays in this issue and Vizzy screens and I don't know, all sorts of the, stupid words. The vision screen. <laughs> the Vizzy screen. Yep. And so on the Vizzy screen, we get a flashing light. It looks <laughs> to me like a very warped Doritos logo. Oh, okay. That's okay. what it reminds me of anyways. Uh, the big, that little, the orange wave sign or whatever that the Doritos has. Uh, if you're going to have a Vizzy screen, you should have a good Vizzy O to put <laughs> on it. This is just yeah, this like... this is a pretty terrible Vizzy. It's just a big red sound form. Look, look, there it is. It's really big. The professor interprets it as um, a mutant using his power to a frightening degree, even more so than Magneto. Um, wow. So I guess somehow this is... A, a brief, like maybe it's like a waveform, and right in the middle there is where the uh, the power is being used, and it's just really intense, and then it goes away. So the banshee is more powerful than Magneto. Interesting. Well, his his power usage is requires more power than Magneto. Oh, okay, I, I guess. Sure. And somehow uh, he also kind of implies that. Using this kind of image of a waveform, a Doritos bag, whatever, that normally he could pinpoint where the location of the mutant is. I mean, that's, I got to wonder what the manual for the Cerebro is like. (laughs) Very, very complicated. Yeah, he's just really gotten himself through the table of contents and now he's just making up the rest. (laughs) I've seen the thing. It's it's 2,000 pages. I don't got the time to read that. If I knew how to read this, I bet I could pinpoint his location. I think there were older stories in which Cerebro was only usable when a mutant used its powers, or it only alerted when a mutant used its powers. And yeah, it wasn't, that seems. Yeah. Although it, it also goes off when the Juggernaut shows up. Well. And he, he wasn't I mean, even a mutant. That's the separate Juggernaut add-on. I mean, that's, you know. <laughs> it's like, he needed that especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the extra that that they get you with. So, with all of this, the professor deduces that th- whatever this threat is, its next target will be the X Men's headquarters. I can't explain now, but we must prepare. What do you mean you can't explain? The professor does a lot of not explaining in this issue. That's because he doesn't know. He's a really good guesser. 
<laughs> He's just a senile old man. They're going to attack us, Scott. We need to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> He's using his mental powers to senilely project mutant menaces into the X-Men's head. And they're, they're really not fighting anything. They go out in public and they're swinging their arms at nothing. And <laughs> people are like, what the? Oh, it's the X-Men. Just let them go. Cerebro is really just a bunch of random patterns. <laughs> So then we flip over to uh, college, Metro College, where Jean Grey and Ted Williams, is that his name? Ted, Ted Williams. Danson. Ted Fritz, I don't remember. <laughs> They're listening to the radio. Ted Williams is lately in these issues getting more and more distraught over his brother's success. Uh, yeah, and Jean is trying to get to the bottom of, the, she feels like there's some sort of compelling story to be told about his brother and she mm-hmm. keeps trying to dig for information uh unsuccessfully yeah, and this and time what interrupts her just about telling the story is the radio news bulletin the look on his face when he hears the news bulletin is he's pretty crazy what on earth yeah it looks like whatever just happened happened to him or his family <laughs> you know and this crazy mutant menace killed ted williams mother what on earth <laughs> but that's not what they say. He's just really, he's really upset by whatever news is on the radio. Well, it's almost as if, like for a second I was thinking, well, maybe the Banshee's his brother or something like that. Yeah, maybe they're connected. Uh, so we get a nice close shot of Gene while we listen to the radio. And uh, Gene wonders if this could possibly be the mutant menace that the professor was expecting. Reminding us about the mutant menace. Mm-hmm. Ted Williams, he he's fist pounding just like an evil mutant oh i wonder if he's going to turn evil at some point but he said somebody somebody needs to look into this (laughs) basically the news bulletin is telling about the banshee's activities and how people passed out and nobody saw him except for some old half-deaf janitor don't worry ted i have a hunch someone will end soon all right. So uh, apparently, this this is where things got a little confusing to me. Well, <laughs> they just got detailed in an unnecessary way. None of this needed to happen. Well, I'm not talking about the Ted Williams page. I'm talking about the no, next I, Yeah, I, I know. You're talking about the next page where um, something is on fire, a warehouse, an abandoned warehouse. It's their pyro projector. And so... <laughs> I'm wondering, yeah, it's not a flamethrower. Because the word flamethrower was not in existence. <laughs> well, when they use a, a term like pyro projector, I'm like, all right, as I'm reading, like they must have created like a fire illusion projection machine. Yeah. As a distraction. So all the fire department and police are rushing over to these abandoned warehouses. Meanwhile, they can do whatever their dastardly plot is. But I think they literally have a flamethrower here and decided to call it a pyro projector. I really don't know what's going on here. It makes no sense. The other thing that makes no sense is this dock crate unfolds to uh, reveal a capsule. And that's part of the plan plan that says, in the confusion, there's little chance of anyone seeing our capsule here. Where are they getting all their money from? Well, not only that, but why are they going through all of this effort? I mean, are are people on the lookout for things? Why don't they just show up? (laughs) Well, they're on the lookout for something that makes people pass out. So nobody knows what they're looking for. So I don't know why they're really hiding. Yeah, why do they need to come in a crate? <laughs> but before they unleash their dastardly plan, while inside the capsule, the ogre decides that he'll watch some TV. <laughs> I'll just tune in some television here real quick. And oh, oh, not only two channels, there's three channels here of news yeah. of uh, of mental blackouts, the news reporter calls them. And this is when the ogre learns that not only once did the Banshee go out for a painting, but he went out again. He's pretty angry about that. He's going to tell. He's going to tattle. <laughs> he literally looks at Banshee and says, I'm going to tell. <laughs> he's going to tell Factor 3 all about this. I like this panel where he's standing behind the Banshee. It's a, it's a well-drawn panel. What I want to know is what's wrong with Banshee's upper lip? um and i guess i'm really looking forward to the issue in which banshee has plastic surgery (laughs) (laughs) because something is wrong there's about three inches between his upper lip and the bottom of his nose yeah it's i i like his character design he's a 
He's a really interesting... He looks like a circus freak. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> All right. All right, so the it's, ogre... It's very long. I don't know. This is maybe how they thought Scottish people looked. That's good. That could be. The other... The, the confusing thing here is that... Um, Earlier in the issue, Ogre's making reading his maps, and he's like, "Oh, now I got to go tell Banshee." Like he he is subservient to Banshee, but since that time, Ogre's been like, "What's Banshee doing? I'm going to tell on Banshee." Banshee, now it's time for you to do your thing. Like Ogre is the mastermind behind this plot, but based on his character so far, I don't think that he's the mastermind of this plot, and I certainly don't think Banshee's the mastermind. Well, Factor Three is the mastermind. All right. I'm going to go with that. All right. These so guys then, are just the lackeys of Factor 3. So then the ogre says, this is our hour that we've long awaited, the capture of Professor X, leader of the X-Men. Not only that, but he says, this is the hour we have long awaited, the hour of the capture. It's not <laughs> just the capture. It's the hour of the capture of the professor of the X-Men. I, I added some of that, but that's pretty much what it sounded like to me. Yes, and that hour of that capture will occur in about one hour. <laughs> how do they know that Professor? How do they know that Professor X exists, and how do they know that he's the leader of the X Men? And that uh, all will be revealed. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I'm sure it will be. Okay, so they take off in their uh, I don't know unnecessarily complicated plotted capsule. <laughs> submarine the freedom of the world is doomed and it will not be aware of it until too late yes so there's bigger plans happening here i don't know if professor x has to do with those or what's going on really lots of this is the mystery issue yes lots of stuff is going on so then we move off back to x-men headquarters where everybody's in a computer room moving a gadget or a dial or a lever of some kind except for the angel standing who's, around <laughs> yeah except for the angel whose arm is still in a sling he got shot in the wing why is his arm in a sling <laughs> uh his mutant ability has allowed his wing to heal and temporarily move to his arm yeah there's a tendon that runs from his wrist to the end of his wing <laughs> And when his wing got shot, it spasmed up through his arm. That's 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 what it's got to be. It's a totally separate issue. <laughs> you know, I bet last issue when he hit the puppet master over the top of it, like upside his head, he hurt his arm. That's probably what happened. And they thought we were so smart, they decided not to even address it in this issue. Yeah. So they're all talking uh, through ESP or mental telepathy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they're all thinking to each other. Nobody's speaking out loud. Well, they're using the professor as a conduit, of course, but uh, right. but uh, they're wearing ear ear baffles or something. So ear that, shields. Ear shields, because they think that somehow they jump to the conclusion that Banshee, or the menace, I should say, knocks their opponents out with sound waves. Yes, and then in the most unnecessary dialogue of the issue, Professor X says... On guard, my X-Men. Even though I've put specially treated wax in them, my sensitive ears can hear Cerebro reacting strongly. So now the professor not only has all of these mental powers that can communicate with robots and switches in the walls, but he also has super sensitive ears. <laughs> He's like a kitty cat. <laughs> this was all just unnecessary. I, I've put specially treated wax in my ears, but I, I just wanted you to know that. But I can still hear Cerebro. But this is why. I mean, they're just over-explaining things. They could I, just skip this panel. I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, again, we look at, a, at another Vizzy screen. It's going wild. Uh, with Now it's yellow and uh, exploding. Oh, why did they just use the Vizzy screen? Oh, no, the Vizzy screen's lit up. <laughs> and in through the window smashes the Banshee, who's... Making that E noise. Yep, and he completely knocks out all of the X-Men because their measly ear shields are not nearly strong enough to uh, stop his his sonic scream, or his sonic screech as it is. And he has a communicator watch. It's the year 2012, and we still don't have communicator watches. Well, 
the thing about the ogre and factor three is they're very technologically advanced i guess so he uh communicates back with the ogre and says all right we're done come on in let's get him let's do this thing everybody's knocked out and then the ogre says yes but you must leave quickly because even though the mimic is unconscious he might absorb your power become resistant to your power and then wake up so the mimic has been has fought the x-men once and been with the x-men for all of an issue and a half. How does Ogre know who he is and why he has any sort of affiliation with the X-Men? Factor 3's got mad intel, man. <laughs> okay. I think at this point that Angel is an insider for Factor 3. <laughs> and that's why he's sitting around with his, oh, my arm. He's really got a recording device in there or something. Could be. All right. So uh, Ogre goes through great pains to let us, the reader, know that his powers are all mechanical. He's got jet boots and... Because of that, Mimic couldn't uh, imitate them, which, whatever, he can already fly. It's not, he need, not like he needs to mimic Ogre's powers to fly around. Well, he, but. He, he implies that uh, Mimic only steals mutant powers, but as we saw in the mutant in the Mimic origin issue, he, he gets the abilities of anybody. He does, but, but Ogre's saying that his, he's, got a, he's got a mechanically enhanced suit, so they're not... Yeah. Natural. His intel's wrong, though. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that the mimic could uh, imitate, for example, Iron Man? Well, I'm saying that uh, what he like if the ogre built all this stuff, yeah, then the mimic would have the intelligence to build this stuff. That I believe is true, but I don't think that the ogre does have the ability to build this stuff. I think fact. Well, I, I don't either. But, oh. basically, but what what the ogre is saying is that. Unlike the Banshee, I am not a mutant. He's just saying like the Banshee can o- or uh, mimic can only mimic mutants. And I think I think what's happening is they're updating Mimic's power set to only be able to steal mutant powers. Oh, I see. They're trying to pull a fast one over on us. Yeah, and I'm on to them because I'm right. a nerd. I'm going to write them a letter. <laughs> Dear X Men, clearly in issue seventeen, panel seven. All right, so uh, the ogre grabs the professor, hog ties him, and uh, carries him carries him over his shoulder, and says, "I will deliver him to Factor Three, and we will conquer the Earth." Yeah, I guess uh, the professor is important to the ability or to uh, to Factor Three's plan to take over the Earth. He also says it is the supreme irony that the world is unaware of his role as leader of the X Men, or of the incredible mutant abilities which are his. Factor three, massive intel. I don't know how that is ironic. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's not ironic. That's just that's just a statement. It is the supreme irony that the world is unaware of his role as leader of the X-Men or the incredible mutant abilities which are his. And then he leads that, he follows it up with, and it is those same abilities which Factor 3 will use to conquer the Earth. Now, it would be ironic if we put the professor up on a pedestal to protect us because of his awesome powers, and exactly. due to those awesome powers, he destroyed us. Or that would be irony. famous in some sort of way. Yes, but nobody knows who he is, and nobody knows where these powers would come from. Therefore, there is no irony. So anyways, uh, out from nowhere comes Marvel Girl. In shadow. The silhouette of Marvel Girl. They don't even show her. That's because... I don't know why that's because. <laughs> There's no reason not to show her. <laughs> so she levitates a log between his legs and he trips. Marvel Girl once again showing that she is the only competent member of the X-Men thus far. Oh, so the one called Marvel Girl is not present to be felled by the attack of the Banshee. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, used his... I think he... Uh, I don't. I don't know if he's called them. Oh yeah, he does. He uses his Rapello rays to uh, shoot at Marvel Girl at this point, which presumably will repel, repel her. Yes, uh, but he misses and hits a tree. She's dodging and levitating herself, and basically he's just missing. But still managing to uh, kind of push her back and make it so that she can't necessarily do anything. It's at this point that the X-Men, the rest of the X-Men minus Angel, come dashing out from around the corner because their ear wax treatments, while not completely effective, were a little bit effective. Yeah, they woke up earlier than most people. Yeah. Uh, And so 
uh, Ogre leaves. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the X-Men are awake. I'm out of here. So he takes off and yeah. uh, he does actually, he, he does fly back around and shoots. Oh, he's got, he's got propello boots. Propello boots, <laughs> propello rays. <laughs> this guy's awesome. So he uses his propello boots to his, to fly away, and he circles back around and shoots Cyclops with his repello ray. Yeah. And then Mimic uses his wings and Beast's feet to jump on the ogre. Ogre uh, bitch slaps him. Kind of. Now the ogre also says, the Mimic, the most powerful of the X-Men. Is he an X-Men or an X-Man? Well, he's the deputy leader, so I oh, guess... Oh, I guess so, yeah, he would be an X-Man. All right, good point, good point, fair enough. Okay, so he gets punched across the face, like you said, and uh, and it's, uh, I don't know, all of the X-Men are now ready to fight Ogre. Ogre uses some blinding lights. Um, we'll call them the Blindello lights. I'm going to call them the Lido rays <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he's using it so that he can escape. It'll give him a few precious moments to get away. And then Xavier, who is standing behind him, or not standing, but lying behind him, Mm -hmm. uh, rolls over, knocking him down on top of the professor. My question is, why doesn't uh, he just use his propello feet to fly away instead of using his Lido ray? It makes no sense. Uh, My question is, why doesn't the professor mind wipe him? Uh... But I guess he says... Uh, I'll take that back because he does say in a moment Xavier will be recovered enough to turn his accursed mental powers on me. So I guess the ogre has timed this out so well that he knows exactly when the professor's powers will return. Right. He's got his stopwatch going. I've got 30 seconds before the professor uses his powers against me. I must get out of here. The Banshee shows up, but with a different sonic shout for some reason uh it's a different pitch according to beast and uh the rest of the x-men they're pretty okay to it except for marvel girl who's oh i can't stand it it's really hurting my arm my my ears banshee manages to knock everybody out again well knock everybody over at least Mm -hmm. not sure why marvel girl doesn't pass out maybe maybe she does and we just don't see it i don't know she says my kinetic powers may be able to soften the blow maybe she has kinetic ear shields on (laughs) yes tele telekinetic ear dampeners whatever so they all fly off uh back to some secret headquarters which is if you look at this panel the third panel it looks like it's in the base of a rocket yeah that's i don't know maybe their little rocket it looks so small before but maybe it really was big uh okay maybe they have a tough time getting back because the ogre's rocket boots have been damaged early on by Marvel Girl. Mm-hmm. So he has propello boots and Pro- rocket boots. Oh, okay. Propello boots. Well, you need to have a backup. <laughs> okay, so it's at this point, since they were kind of separated, that Banshee wonders why he came back without the professor. And we also notice now that Banshee has uh, elf ears. I didn't notice this before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Anyways, he's got a funny face and elf ears. Yeah, he's like a little old man. I wonder if he's Nightcrawler's father. Ooh, yeah. Whoever, whoever Nightcrawler is. <laughs> uh, and so this is Ogre says, oh, I, I had to leave him behind because everything was broken and uh, stuff. <laughs> and it's at this point that we learn that uh, the Banshee's uh, sonic scream or whatever it is, uh, he's tired. So he has to um, rest his sonic scream. Yeah, which he says, I've overused my powers today, which kind of implies that he won't be able to use them for the rest of the day. Yeah, he he's going to need to have a hot cup of tea with some honey, uh, good night's sleep, and then in the morning he'll be fresh-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to uh, use his sonic scream to take over the world. But But not tonight, not tonight. He's done for the night. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> so we go back to the mansion, and... We are fixing stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure. What, what I don't know why what we're doing in this first panel, but uh, we're we're fixing some equipment. We are. We're, yeah, yeah, we're fixing some equipment. Jean Grey hands 
um, Beast a screwdriver and says, here are your pliers, Hank. <laughs> Why don't we just skip this whole panel and pretend it never happened? Because it doesn't... <laughs> oh, oh, I know. They're using all these tools to fix the window that uh, Banshee broke. They're using pliers and a screwdriver to fix the window. There are no pliers in this panel. <laughs> uh, and the hammer that you see on the desk. And it, apparently, it appears that there's two cards, a four and a, another four on the desk as well. <laughs> so they just don't know what they're doing here. And apparently uh, Mimic is in the background. He's installing a pet door. What is Iceman doing? He's got like a little pole. <laughs> he's got a pole vault to, I don't know. He's made, I don't know what this panel makes zero sense. Everybody's the next doing some little thing, but nobody's doing anything. It's, it's the next panel in which the story restarts. And in, <laughs> in, in terms of the professor, he was able to mentally probe the ogre's ear shields. Because the ogre's ear shields have a mind. Yes, because the ear shields of the ogre told him what their chemical <laughs> compound was or whatever. So he's able to duplicate it, so he makes some. Maybe that's what the X-Men were building, were, were these little ear coasters. So for some reason, we get two panels of Marvel Girl inserting her ear inserts. I like the second panel. The second panel is fantastic, but the first one, I, I, I don't know. It just seems like this could have been a little montage of all the X-Men doing it or <laughs> not, or we could have just, I don't know, they were hurting for space, or, or maybe that second panel of Marvel Girl could have just been one longer panel, but we get one panel of her inserting the ear uh, covers and then another of her kind of twiddling her fingers and looking forward as she admires her new ear dampeners. Gene, will you apply some of the substance to my own ears now? Please ask this, the... Uh the professor i never even caught that yeah she is she's she she was able to put the ear dampeners on herself but for some reason this lazy professor can't use his own hands this is just an excuse yeah it's totally an excuse and then will you put your hands on me <laughs> a few mm. minutes later after gene gray has similarly aided iceman who helped <laughs> iceman and the professor before gene gray was here and why all of a sudden does gene gray have to do it <laughs> she's a woman yeah, exactly. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is just uh, this is just their adaptation of making sandwiches. What is the professor unable to put the stuff in his own ear? <laughs> like none of this makes any sense. But it's at this point that Cerebro's Vizzy screen starts freaking out again, and out of nowhere, Banshee shows up, screaming. Even though he's not able to scream for the rest of the day. Yeah, we thought he was having that tea and watching some of the television program. Huh. Oh, you know what? I bet the uh, I bet the ogre built a recharge enhancer. Oh, Ray! Uh, so he, he uh, is screaming his his head off, or he's vibrating his head off, or whatever it is that he does in this particular issue. And the X Men simply are not affected. And that's when uh, uh, the mimic flips a lever, which drops down a mesh net. That oh, that's the what they were building. Okay, a mesh net. They were building a banshee trap. Yeah, okay. All right, okay, so with their... Yeah, okay, so he flies into it, and uh, he can't get out, and the mimic starts gaining some of uh, banshee's power, so he starts vibrating and screaming. The professor once again has the ability to mind-wipe someone, but he does not take it. Yeah, he chooses not to, so it's up to the beast who fires a grenade or something at him. A gas pellet. Yeah. Why don't they just shoot him in the face with a gun? I'm sick of these kid gloves. The X-Men don't kill, man. Hurry, get the gas pellet gun. Patoo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we've sh we've shot him with gas. And they do, and he's they bring him out of the net, and they put him into an air-free, gravity-free box. Which sounds pretty, pretty rough. Uh, and they also put him in a little space suit. So, I mean, it's not like they're going to suffocate him. So he's got enough air to breathe, but just enough air to breathe, not enough air to uh, use his vibrations to free himself. And then here's another thing that just comes out of left field. Can you go into the cellar lab and get me my extra oxygen tank? Sure. Meanwhile, in the cellar, huh, never noticed this door before. Yeah. Strange. It's been locked ever since we came back from our last vacation. Could we have gotten a heads up about this door maybe an issue or two ago? 
oh, this is the first time we're seeing it, and um, now it just seems forced. Like I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we never saw this door again. I would be actually. That would be the most genius thing ever if they're like, oh, <laughs> what a very odd, do- what a very odd door. Well, I mean, uh, the thirty issues later, never mention the door again. The caption is that's putting it mildly, but don't hold your breath while you're waiting to find out what this door is. So, in other words, they're not going to tell us. Yeah. I'll give the boys a hand with my telekinetic ability. Gene Gray says. Yeah. So the professor sends the mimic out to uh, scan the land, see if he can spot the ogre. The ogre spots the mimic and decides, well, now that the strongest of the X-Men is gone, I'm going to go in and and attack. So Mm -hmm. he sneaks into the... uh, x-men mansion with a larger repello ray mm-hmm. huge and blasts them he he even says this larger repello ray will finish them he blasts them everybody he misses again well that's because the professor does say everybody leap away from me the ogre has returned so he's used some sort of precognition mental power he mentally read the gun and said, Bob, move. <laughs> Let's assume that he, he, he mentally recognized that there was someone else in the room, someone that he could mind wipe but chose not to. His spidey sense was tingling. <laughs> uh, okay, so he's, he's mad now because uh, the mimic is captured, but he says, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to kill you, Banshee, and I'm going to get the professor, and I'm going to claim the prize and the credit all for myself. Which is at the point that Cyclops returns, blasting the gun in half. Which leads, you know, again, lesson for supervillains in the making. Don't don't talk. Just shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and so he flies away. Well, he hears the mimic coming back. So he, or he, he flies away. And uh, starts shooting at the Mimic. Mm-hmm. The Mimic has set up a sonic barrier against his repeller ray, but still feels kind of groggy. The Ogre has built resistances to the uh, Banshee's frequency or waveform or whatever it is. And something in his suit gives him the ability to zero in on the epicenter of that scream or something. So he flies towards it. Uh, Cyclops is impressed by... Uh, the mimic's fighting ability. He uses uh, Hank's agility and uh, the flying ability of the angel. He seems that's that seems to be his like one-two punch. He doesn't mm-hmm. ever seem to use Iceman, Marvel Girl, Professor, or Mm-mm. Cyclops's powers. I mean, mimic at this point could literally mind wipe him. Yeah, just like oh, I don't need to use any of my powers. Mind wipe. Well, the mind wipe is a difficult one to to master. Yes, but as we've learned, Calvin Rankin has the anything that he, anybody else has the ability to do, he has the ability to do as well. So he could figure it out. The vacuum chamber behind them that was containing Banshee is shattered. Everybody worries that they're going to have to fight him again. But then the professor warns them, stay back, X-Men. I smashed the chamber so he could free himself. What? That doesn't make any sense. He's an evil mutant more powerful than Magneto. Uh, the X-Men trust the professor, however, and they let Banshee escape uh, his bonds. With a mental bolt, the professor removes the headband from Banshee. The uh, Banshee pulls off his headband and says, Hi, Tatai, allow me to explain. And here's where he looks like a monkey. Yes, he's very monkey-like. So he talks about this headband that the ogre was actually... Uh, had put on the Banshee was dominating him. He could easily kill him with the remote control. Right. And then, well, we should have removed it earlier when you were unconscious. Well, no, we couldn't because at the time, if Ogre would have mentally sensed it or some such nonsense, it would have blown up. But since the controls were broken by Mimic, that's how we were able to get it off. But all of that doesn't answer the question as to why is he running around stealing paintings and tobacco if the ogre didn't want him running around stealing tobacco and paintings? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't he just blow him up then? I don't understand. Like, hey, don't go into town and steal paintings or tobacco or I will blow you up. The ogre is not too bright. Well, is is it that or is is um, the Banshee not too bright either? <laughs> truly a thief. Uh, he's only, he's not really a thief. He only, he likes the finer things in life. <laughs> he likes to steal the finer things in life. Yeah. All right. 
Okay, so at the, the, with everything wrapped up in a pretty little bow, uh, we learn a little bit about factor three. Um, actually, uh, Professor says, I know part of the answer, Marvel Girl. It has to do with factor three. Factor three, what's that? Like some kind of toothpaste. Uh, and that's when Banshee chimes in and says, what are you daft there, lad? Everybody knows a factor three. They're a worldwide organization. The most dangerous secret organization on the earth. If they're a secret organization, how would anybody know about them? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it has the means to conquer the world or even destroy it. But apparently not unless they have the professor. Yes, the professor is the key to the factor three. So I gather that the mysterious mutant menace that the professor is talking about wasn't Banshee, but is Factor 3. That's my guess, although the ogre isn't a mutant, so who knows. So the next issue, it promises right here, will will more mysterious menace of the Factor 3, plus mimic versus the sense-staggering super-adaptoid. That makes me almost think that maybe... Uh, the super adaptoid isn't part of Factor 3 or is just a pawn of the Factor 3. And the Factor 3 is going to be a long-running supervillain organization that for some reason uh, has it out for the X-Men. The super adaptoid is an Avengers foe that has the oh. um, he has the accumulated powers of the Avengers, much like the Mimic has the accumulated powers of the X-Men. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, and then that brings us to the end of this issue. I enjoyed that issue. It was a it was a fairly slow read, but um, on the whole, I thought it was a nice little action adventure piece. Yeah, we we get to uh, our first. Well, we get introduced to a new mutant. It seems to to it's been a while since we've met a new mutant. It's yeah, mostly that's right. been uh, robots and uh, I don't know other altered foes. Actually, did you read the letter pages at all? No, I did not. There's one of the letters actually mentions that. Um, a couple things that one, the X-Men never face mutants and two, the X-Men never win. <laughs> ah, so it's not just us 40 years later realizing this. Yeah. Chalk one up for Marvel girl. She's doing good. The rest of the X-Men, not so hot except for mimic because what I mimic think- has is the, uh, the teamwork element. He doesn't, well, he, he has teamwork by using all of their powers. <laughs> Yeah, I think that they should, that the professor should fire all of the X-Men and just replace them all with the Mimic. And just keep like all of the X-Men in cold storage so that the Mimic has the ability to use their powers. <laughs> yeah. And the professor will always fly like a half mile away with the X-Men in tow. Yeah, yeah. See, that'd be a good He'll be point. in like a, a little locker or something. And he'll start collecting mutants so that the Mimic will be even more powerful. So uh, that brings us to uh, the mail section of our show. Oh, Yes. Uh, we got a uh, we got a note from. Uh, who, do you remember who we got a note from? Nicholas Hookstra. He he sends us our first uh, email. This is our very first email. Oh, he sent the email to dangerroom at redcapproductions dot com. Yeah, and um, as it is our first, I'm just going to read the whole thing in its entirety. Adam, Jeremy, my name is Nick. I just discovered your podcast about three weeks ago. I heard about it from through Tom versus Aquaman. I just wanted to say that I'm enjoying it and keep up the podcasting. I am actually blind, so I was never able to read the comics myself. So for me, this is my exposure to the X-Men. I watched the cartoon when I was young, but you guys make the comics themselves accessible. So thanks very much. I'm listening in chronological order, and I'm up to episode 17. Now I look forward to hearing how the X-Men continue. Thanks again, Nick. That just warms the cockles of my heart. Wow. Did you ever watch that cartoon? Uh, I think I watched it with you. The Fox cartoon? Probably. It, was, it came on when we were uh, real big into the X-Men in the, what, early to mid-90s? I think that was some of my first exposure to the X-Men, because you were really big into the X-Men, and I really liked Wolverine. Yeah. So you were well, like, ah, I'm videotaping all of these X-Men shows and watching them over and over. Why don't you come over? That could so be. We, I just remember, oh, and I like Jubilee, too. She was in Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, she was uh, 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 Robin to his Batman, yeah, as it were. But anyways, uh, I really liked that cartoon because it was, up to that point, the most faithful uh, cartoon adaptation of anything. 
normally like think about like super friends or some of the other ish, uh, things where they throw in talking monkeys or <laughs> other stupid stuff. This was literally like this was the X-Men at that time in a cartoon series. And they didn't yeah. borrow from various elements throughout the past and and try to create an amalgamation of the X-Men that they thought might be like wildly palatable. They said, these are the X-Men today. One of the later cartoon iterations, I believe, did like the X-Men all as teenagers and they yes. were all like at a high school together yes. and they were all classmates and stuff like that. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that one. I, I only saw the first 10 minutes of the first episode. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, we got some other feedback on the um, on the iTunes page, so we definitely thank you for that, uh, and uh, we'd like to see more of that. Let's see that continues. Uh, anyways, uh, another guy, another person who actually there's a couple new ones out there, so this is pretty cool. Uh, uh, this one's from Fish86, and he says, As a real Marvel dork and a huge fan of the X-Men, I'm loving every minute of this podcast. Thank you all very much, and keep it up, uh, and please go as far as the continuity as you can manage. Do you think that that means that we have to go through, like, Ultimate X-Men? I think it means just go up to issue 544 if you can make it. That That's my interpretation. And does that mean, I'm going to put this out to the audience, when we get to those uh, Chris Claremont years, do we actually need to go into classic X-Men and also look at those uh, backstories that they put in the old uh, X-Men classics? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, come on. Do we, do we have to do, like, X-Factor, or uh, do we have to do New Mutants, or do we have to do the second X-Men comic book? Oh, yeah. We have to do the full continuity. So when it says continue to next factor, well, that's given. But as these stories intertwine, we have to do, we have to do the whole gambit. Thanks, Fish86. Oh, man. <laughs> that's a lot of... That's a, it's going to take us forever to get through Fall of the Mutants. Any other thoughts on this one? Uh, no, it was a pretty good issue. I liked it. It was, yeah. uh, it was pretty... I'm very curious about Factor 3. I hope they live up to the hype. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, this uh, seems to be introducing a less corny run of the X-Men uh, coming off of the Kukul can and villains of yesteryear uh, kind of bogged down. So I suspect, though, that ne- never having heard of Factor 3, <laughs> they're probably not going to be that great. <laughs> well, you can't get better. I mean, it can't be. Unless it's headed by the unicorn, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Until next week, the danger room is closed. We're